0: The Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up to date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real world practice. Listeners, welcome today, Nick Patterson, PharmD. Nick recently gave a lecture at our Phoenix meeting titled Postoperative Pain Management. Nick, thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. We've gone through a list of post-operative pharmacological pain management options. Next up is opioids, and there's a pretty good list of those, so I wanted to kind of spend some time on that. I think most everybody listening to our podcast is aware of opioids and probably is familiar with prescribing those. Let's talk about morphine. What's the pros and cons? What do you like? What do you don't like? And pearls with dosing that.
1: Morphine, one of the things I really like about it is it's usually relatively inexpensive. Most of our providers have a ton of experience with it through residency, fellowship, just your rotations in general. People feel very comfortable with it and know exactly what it can do. The downsides of it are multiple metabolites. If you have somebody who is an elderly population, they don't break it down like our younger population does, and they can have excess amounts of morphine that hang around, the metabolites that hang around for a long period of time, which can make it more difficult for them to come out of anesthesia. Number two, if you have anybody with renal abnormalities, they'll have accumulation of the medication as well. Overall, I think morphine does work relatively well. I mean, it's the basis for what we compare all of our other opioids to. Whenever we look at changing somebody from Dilaudid to morphine, we look at morphine milligram equivalents. It's got years and years of, I mean, I think we've talked about, I think 1830s, why JW Saturner is the first person that originally came up with morphine in general. So years and years, I think people feel comfortable with it, but we got to watch any kind of renal dysfunction and our elderly population that can accumulate the medication.
0: Perfect. And as we go through the list of these, I think it might be entertaining for our audience to, I'm just going to throw it out there and you tell us what you know or what you think about it, what we should know, the pros and cons and pearls. Fentanyl, what do you think?
1: (laughs) Fentanyl has actually been one of my favorites for a long period of time, especially in trauma. During residency, whenever we had a trauma come in, that's the first one we did. We pulled up a tetanus shot. We pulled up some tobramycin or gentamicin, depending on what we had in the pyxis at the time, and then we pulled up fentanyl into a flush. We would pull up 100 mics and then a 10-mil syringe of it. That way, we had 10 mics per mil, and we were good to go. Fentanyl, what I love about it is quick onset, quick offset. It doesn't mess with the heart rate. doesn't mess with the blood pressure. For somebody who's coming in you know, trying to keep their blood pressure up because they are exsanguinating or if they have multiple traumas and try to get trailed the bleeding, it, it works out really well. The downsides to it, by the way, what I'm talking about is straight up anything made from a pharmaceutical manufacturer that we know quality control has been there. The downsides of fentanyl are because it is so potent compared to morphine, most people cannot tolerate a lot. When we're talking about dosing morphine, it's in milligrams. Talking about dosing fentanyl, it's in micrograms, so it takes a very small amount of it to get the same effect as you would. And if you have 100 microgram vials of the medication, it can be really easy to give too much. Although most people can tolerate 100 mics, no problem at all. It does have such a short half-life that you have to work on a continuous infusion drip if they're going to be in the ICU. But most of the time, you can just do boluses about every, usually about every 20 minutes or so if you're trying to get pain control. If you accidentally give too much, it's out of their system pretty fast, too.
0: And they have popsicles and stuff for kids, right?
1: There's multiple different items. We used to call them the fentanyl lollipops that what we used to have. And these are supposed to be for opioid tolerant people completely. We did have some uses downrange with those type things, but those end up being really good for our cancer patients. Anybody who's on chronic opioids and they use something that would be absorbed through the gums, that works great because fentanyl is torn up pretty fast by the stomach. So whatever we use for it, it's going to be a sublingual. So it's going to absorb really well through the gums or through the buccal cavity in general.
0: Okay. Delauded, uh, hydromorphone. What do you think about that one? Delauded
1: is a good one to go with if you have patients that are having the higher requirements of morphine but can't tolerate it because of the hemodynamic effects. So, Delauded, it's about a six to one ratio. So, six milligrams of morphine is about one of Delauded. And you'll get different ratios wherever you're out there. Six to one is just a good one for me. The problem with Delauded that I've seen out there is, again, it's confusion, it's a lookalike, soundalike medication. Because Dilaudid or hydromorphone can be confused with hydrocodone. And even though hydromorphone is a metabolite of hydrocodone, it's a completely different dosing. Because hydrocodone, we know a milligram of hydrocodone is equal to a milligram of morphine orally. So when people believe they go to Dilaudid, it's like, oh, it should be about the same thing. And we have accidents dosing with that one. We can have some accumulation with Dilaudid in patients with renal dysfunction. So we just watch them very closely.
0: All right. Sufentanil, what is that?
1: So Sufentanil is a newer version of fentanyl, and they made it in this nice little sublingual tablet, which is what we talked about during the presentation. Sufentanil is even more potent than fentanyl is, and it has a niche. Normally, it's going to be in your L&D population that you're going to utilize it in. Now, that being said, with this oral version they came out with a few years ago, it does have a place in somebody that you've already pulled a line in. You can give them a 30-mic sublingual tablet of c The problem is, is that it doesn't start working for about 15 to 20 minutes. But it is a good option for people who need a stronger pain relief that might not be able to swallow a tablet.
0: Oxycodone. I think everybody listening knows about oxycodone, but tell us what your take is on it.
1: So oxycodone is a tried and true favorite, and it's about one and a half times the potency of regular morphine. And what I do like about oxycodone is it's the oral medication that a majority of providers are the most comfortable with. Since you can give a combination with Tylenol if you need to, or you can give it just by itself. There are going to be some uh, dose adjustments with renal dysfunction with it, and you are going to have about the same side effects as you would with any other opioid medication. So we talk about oxycodone a little bit different because a majority of people aren't going to be taking this orally since there's not an IV version available of it. So with long-term oxycodone use, you're going to have to worry more about
0: constipation. That goes through the list pretty well. I think that's awesome.
1: One more thing I
0: do want to put out to people is that yesterday, I believe yesterday
1: or the day before, the FDA approved the first over-the-counter naloxone that can be utilized with patients. And beforehand, usually most states had to have naloxone with a collaborative practice agreement with the provider. Usually the state's person over the Department of Health at each state had to sign off on a collaborative practice. But now naloxone is going completely over the counter. So if you do have somebody who has a history of opioid use or is using high dose of opioids or long term post-surgical, you can actually ask them just go ahead and pick up a naloxone just to have around the house for the family, just in case.
0: Man, I didn't know that. That's great news. We'll have to look at that for some future topics. Do you give opiates preoperatively in orthopedic procedures? Let's narrow it down to just orthopedics.
1: Not unless they are already on those opioid medications to start with. Opioids before surgery is really not going to do any benefit except make it harder for anesthesia to manage um, oxygenation. If they are already on opioids before surgery, just let them continue on until they get to surgery.
0: Got it. Okay. Any other thoughts about opiates or concerns or anything that we should pass along to our listeners about opiates?
1: The big thing I believe is just going to be the naloxone available. If you have any concerns, make sure you write it for them and they can pick it up over the counter. The second part is there's always been thoughts about cycling to a different opioid. If they're on one particular long-term opioid before surgery, that you can cycle them to a different opioid after surgery for better pain control, but there's really never been any evidence to support doing that. It's even out there in some guidelines that you might consider it. But for somebody, I would let pain management in general take care of that. Don't worry about changing up their opioid after surgery. Get them back on what they were taking before as quickly as
0: possible. Perfect. Yep, that's how we've always managed it as well. Okay, Nick, how about alpha-2 agonists, clonidine and tizanidine? What's their role in postoperative pain management?
1: So one of the cool things about alpha-2s, and I was actually talking about this to a provider earlier on, is specifically alpha-2s are supposed to decrease the norepinephrine release from the body. If you don't have norepinephrine being released, then normally what happens is you don't get a sympathetic response to what's going on with the pain in general. It does works a little bit differently when it comes to focusing on your regional nerve blocks because what it ends up doing is it ends up helping the local anesthetic work longer in the area in which it's injected probably because it, where it uh, decreases the lidocaine's ability or bupivacaine's ability to exit out of the joint in and of itself. Those are big places where you don't want to use epinephrine anyway, because we know epinephrine could actually cause some changes in hemodynamic response.
0: Yeah, I use tizanidine for lumbar strain patients and the younger folks. It seems to work pretty well. I used to use another muscle relaxer. I, you know, I had a couple of that I've used, but I from one of our talks, someone said try it, and I did, and it seems to work well. So I'm I'm happy with the results of it.
1: But tizanidine, the only thing you need to really be concerned about are dropping blood pressure. That's the only thing you need to worry about with it. Because with alpha-2, uh, alpha-2-clonidine, guanfacine, all those can cause a decrease in blood pressure because the body is not given that sympathetic response. So just watch those. Once you have that, you're pretty good.
0: Listeners, stay tuned next week when we continue our discussion on postoperative pain management with Nick Patterson, clinical pharmacy practitioner. We're going to talk about some non-pharmacological treatments and some special considerations for patients undergoing anesthesia. Hi, listeners. This is Sam Dyer, and I'm interrupting today's interview to remind you our annual meeting this year is called Ortho and Indy. It's from August 21st through August 25th. The venue is the JW Marriott, and we currently have a room block for PAOS attendees. And then, if you'll look at the brochure on PAOS.org website, you'll see all the quality content that we have. Not only do we have world-class speakers, we have workshops, optional mini-sessions, food, social events. There's just tons of things going on. We hope to see you there.